0: What's up, and welcome to another episode of Not Even D2, the podcast covering D3 basketball through conversations with those involved in Division 3 I'm super excited for this episode because it's with the first guest strictly representing the women's side of Division Three basketball. Hear from Alfred women's basketball coach Mike Moskowitz about his coaching career, the current Alfred team, and why it's so vital for his players to excel in the classroom. Super interesting conversation we have with Coach Moss, so let's get into the episode. got Coach Mosk in the building. Super excited to have you on, Coach.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Cage.
0: Yes, sir. How how you feeling today?
1: Pretty good. Pretty good. We're on the recruiting trail, so yes, grinding, grinding for sure.
0: So do you use like break to approaching Christmas break? Do you use break to start recruiting or is it like a... Yeah, so our,
1: our recruiting cycle is different than a lot of other sports, so we kind of keep open eyes and ears for especially local like and local here, I guess, within two hours, Buffalo, Rochester a little bit of Section 4, uh, and then Northern PA, that kind of thing. Um, so we keep open eyes and ears all through their high school career. Um, but a lot of like the main identification of student athletes we want to uh, pursue would be starting really in April of their junior year. And so heavy AAU from April through July, basically. Uh, and then we do some visits. Um, overnight visits, and then go watch them in maybe some fall sports and watch them in high school basketball. So right now, um, just about – well, no, every night this week and just about every night next week while we're off, I'll go to a different high school game, and those are high school seniors that we're recruiting while also, like I said, keeping open eyes and ears for the underclassmen.
0: Yeah. We'll get into your recruiting styles and things of that nature regarding recruiting, but right now I want to hear about what inspired you to become a coach – um specifically on the girl side of things
1: yeah so let's let's take your way back so both my parents were in business um and I remember when I was young young I have an older sister um so she was in uh whatever Sunday school um religious school and my mom had to kind of fill in for one year and teach and I remember going with her when I was very young and I could see that my mom absolutely loved it maybe not like the religion aspect but uh the like the classroom presence um, and I remember her saying or alluding to like I should have been a teacher like I wanted to be a teacher and so I don't know if that was actually said I was so young I don't know if that was actually said or if I just picked up on it and so that was always in the back of my head I had a really awesome fifth grade math teacher that kind of clicked and it was like okay like I want to be a math teacher so I went through um, that was a plan from literally fifth grade all the way through wow. did internship in high school that kind of stuff um, was able to to like co-teach some lessons etc uh, went to school to be a math teacher, made some immature decisions my freshman year, uh, didn't prioritize class time, uh, fell behind in math, which is very difficult to fall behind in, readjusted, uh, and went for Spanish ed. Um, while I was there, uh, I got to be a student assistant at Oneonta State uh, on the men's side under Vince Medici. Uh, that was really cool. At the age of 20, I became a JV girls coach, um, which is you know pretty young. I was interviewing for a modified boys position, They're like, well, you know, we have a a JV girls spot open. And I'm like, "Uh, I've never coached women before. And I was immature and naive and was like, I never want to coach women. Uh, And the JV level is too high. I'm only 20. I've never been a head coach before. Uh, And we went through the process. And um, Matt Osborne and Brandy Backus were like, no, like we want you to be. And I had a binder and all that stuff prepared through, you know, the coaching certification at Oneonta. And they were like, we want you to be the JV girls coach. And I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Absolutely loved it. Uh, two years, small school, got to do open gyms in the off season, local AAU stuff, and, and help Brandy, you know, continue her success in that program. Um, and so that was the first, I guess, time working with female athletes ever and kind of broke down my brain barrier of what that would be like. Uh, and then my last year of college, as is typical in New York State, a teacher wanted the coaching job and I was not a teacher so they just automatically got it based on their contract so I got booted very very late I went back to coach Medici on the men's side at Oneonta uh, and said hey like do you have anything for me and he let me do more hands-on work last year of college with the men's team when I was graduating I got a job uh, south of Albany like halfway between Albany and home uh, at Kingston as a middle school Spanish teacher and when I was looking um, I was like do I want to go and coach like a a modified or a freshman or JV or anything like that. I was like, no, like, I think I want to stay in college. So I emailed both the men's and women's coach at SUNY New Paltz, Division three. there. <clears throat> the men's coach said, sorry, we're full. The women's coach brought me in for, like, a five-hour interview uh, just for a volunteer spot. And that's when I knew, like, I was in the right program. I spent three years there while I was teaching full-time. Uh, and although my title said volunteer – uh, I basically, because I started to know that this is what I wanted to do, uh, Jamie Seward, the head coach there, invested in me and made sure I had every opportunity to do everything I needed to go from there as a volunteer to a head head coach here.
0: Yeah, so at SUNY New Paltz, you were the assistant or slash volunteer and you won two SUNYAC titles and one Sweet 16 appearance in the NCAAs. What did you take as an assistant that, Impacted or influences your decision to become a head coach and what you do as as a head coach?
1: If I didn't go to New Paltz and and work under Jamie there, then uh, I would be much different today. Um, Just the the competition level. When I was, I mean, I was young, but before I went there, the day before uh, a game in my mind was like walk-through stuff and light shooting reps, and that was it because you don't want to get hurt. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Everything there is cutthroat. Uh, And he's the exact opposite. Like, we need to be our sharpest, play our hardest for a short spurt of time the day before a game. So that kind of flipped um, everything there. Helping people deal with discomfort um, and and being comfortable being uncomfortable um, and not just with, with regards to basketball, but pushing them to pursue things outside of basketball. Um, Pursuing excellence in everything you do and really investing in the people and the relationships like that that those three years felt like 10 years in a great way I learned a lot uh, from both Jamie and Darren Jackson who's been there for years and years and years and and they just have a lot of knowledge and Obviously a really successful program.
0: Yeah going back to something you talked about earlier You were bouncing between the men's side of things and the women's side of things What differences do you see in? the style of play or just basketball in general?
1: The game's a little bit different, right? And I think that the biggest thing uh, for the most part, now we did play SUNY Canton and Natalie Bartle is very, very good. She'll be an All-American. But for the most part, like you need to facilitate through each other. You need all five on the court. Whereas, you know, on the men's side, uh, more often – you could just put the ball in one person's hands and, and they can go get you something um, versus in the women's side, you need all five working together. And I think also, to be honest with you, like some of that is like defensive discipline type stuff and and att- a little bit more attention to detail at times. Uh, but overall, like all the stereotypes and the naive mindset, I've been doing this now six years here, three years at New Paltz, two years as a JV coach. So over 10 years, like that's all it's, it's you're coaching athletes, right? And so it's a matter of the, the environment and I guess the culture that you create and promote on a daily basis. And so we are super competitive and physical and I'm sure there are men's programs that aren't you know, hitting as hard as we are in practice and that's just a matter of the environment that we create.
0: Yeah, I've, I've never really heard anyone put it like that but that's a great analysis on the individuality that you see on the men's side versus on the women's side. But transitioning into a different topic, the past few years both of your teams have led the conference and three-point field goals made and I want to hear about do you think that you recruit players based off of the strengths of your past year's teams or what are you looking for in your recruiting style?
1: So I think given the way that we want to play, we're always looking for like long athletic players and people that we can help develop skill wise. So they might have they might be a decent ball handler. They might be a decent shooter. They might just be long and, and a good athlete who can defend and, and, you know, be a good slasher. So those are constants. If we can get long athletes like that fits what we do. Uh, but this year actually is, is different than really any other year that we've recruited for. So we inherited a little bit of a traditional roster um, where we did have some bigs. And so I was trying to play fast, to press, to switch a lot of things, et cetera, with the group that we inherited. Uh, but we had talent in pieces that, uh, that were already here. And so we had to play through them a little bit. Then once we got into, you know, a few years in and we had all players that we had recruited, we loved playing small ball. Um, and I think that it worked um, and it sped some teams up, et cetera. But we saw some some downfall defensively where there were just times that teams totally abandoned, um, you know, who they were to just throw it in and make us double or dig the post, whatever it may be, and have to be in rotation every possession. And, you know, so kind of balancing a little bit of my pride and how I really want to play versus what I know will be successful in the league. So this year we're a little bit more traditional. We're a little bit more balanced. Um, But I think overall to answer your question, I think it's really shallow, I guess, maybe to just recruit like how you want to play versus finding talented players and adjusting and adapting along the way. So we're going like right now we technically have in five or five or six sets, three of them are to get the ball inside. Last year we had one the whole year that was to get it inside, and it was to get it inside to a five-five-five-six guard that was a little bit stronger. So kind of adapting. Um, we have some things coming out of break that we'll put in uh, that will help us with our balance. Um, but just finding talented people that not only fit what I want to do, what we want to do, but the university, right? So Division 3 we're trying to find people who, um, you know, who want to be here at Alfred University, want to be in Alfred, New York, uh, mesh well with the team, and so their talent levels will vary, their skill set will vary. and so then when we get into basketball as the secondary, my job is to to put out the most successful product basketball product as possible. And so if we were just to run and gun and press and trap all over and lose every game seventy to forty because of that, that would be you know really shallow and me kind of saying like, why are you not doing what we always do like i can't I can't stand that. So you have to be adaptable, I think, while still trying to find pieces. That will help your program play at least somewhat the way that you want to play so like right now we're switching one through four in years past we switched one through five almost exclusively
0: yeah um you mentioned something about people that want to be in alfred new york and alfred isn't the end quote most luxurious end quote place to go to college how do you try to sell alfred as a um comfortable and the best fit for a girl looking forward to college so
1: my recruiting strategy has evolved and that was you know like that's a well-known thing honestly coming in as a new coach to hear it's talked about like in the interview process it's questioned by other coaches on the committee um and then it's it comes to fruition as you get your feet on the ground so i was at new pulse we were really successful recruiting like the long island capital district Westchester, new york city Um, coming out here like I I had connections there and I was like all right like let's let's keep rolling but it's you know you're four and a half hours away now from all of those places so you'll find you know players like yourself like Jaden Chesprey, door Sam Fisher from Poughkeepsie uh, the other two from the the capital region generally speaking like you'll find those players but you can't put all your eggs into that basket Mm -hmm. Um, so kind of adjusting in that regard and then another thing that has evolved as I've gone on I try and get every student athlete and or their parents on the phone early in the process like we're going to be open and up front and I'm going to tell it like it is which we always did but uh like I'm going to be really up front with it so if I find them or start really talking to them in April May like by the end of May I need them on the phone to the point where they can make a decision like I want to go forward with Alfred or I don't whereas at you know at at New Paltz and a little bit at Oneonta when I helped on the front end of recruiting like you're just trying to keep them engaged for long enough to stay in the fight um And that's what we did a little bit here. And so we would finish early in my career. We finished, you know, like top three to like uh, an RPI, but it was a Capital Region kid. So they were probably never coming here. But, you know, like, oh, we finished to RPI and and Hamilton. And there's another one where it's like, oh, like, wow, cool. We finished top three. And it's like probably weren't really getting that kid. And and Connections Built helped us in that regard, but more so like trying to find right fit, being up front, telling it exactly like it is, getting them in touch with players, getting them here for a visit earlier. We used to not do visits during the summer because it is a ghost town, right? Yeah. We make up a lot of the, a lot of the population in the town is the college students. So now it's like, let's have that conversation. If they're interested like, yeah, sure. Then let's get them on it, Like an academic tour over the summer. And there we have enough local players or players that stay here over the summer that somebody can talk to them usually, and then set up that that overnight for early fall. Whereas when I first came, it was like, all right, like engage, 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 show your face, talk to them at an AAU tournament, text, 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 and then don't really like buckle up to get them here until, you know, like September or, you know, or late August when the kids are back. Uh, and I think that that's evolved. So being really upfront, telling it like it is, um, having them ask those questions, talking to them, like, are you looking for something like this? And if you're not, and it's May and you say, no that's okay. Yeah. And and it it saves both of our time versus dragging it along, hoping, 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 oh, maybe they'll change their mind. And, you know, they don't mind the the quiet, uh, you know, or they don't mind being X number of hours from home, like, let's be as upfront as possible. And then if, if they say no, and something changes later, we can always re-engage. But the chances of somebody being like, ah, I'm not really sure in, let's say April or May, and changing to like, yes, that's definitely what I wanted. And I didn't think I did earlier. Like, that's not very high. So Kind of filtering out earlier and cutting our list earlier and then investing that time and energy into a smaller list has yielded a higher rate for us.
0: Yeah, I respect that. Let's take a quick break. Last season, your team had a program high in conference wins at 10 wins in the Empire 8. What are the current goals for this team and trying to build off of last season? So we learned
1: early in our tenure here that focusing on the end goal um our second year we talked about like we want to make playoffs we put so much pressure on ourselves we were uh I guess a young program in this process of rebuilding uh we put so much pressure on ourselves that every uh every game felt like do or die and it like not in a good way not in like let's go out and compete as hard as we can just like oh my god that basket's going to cost us postseason spot that we've been talking about non-stop so we we year three, we went back to our roots and just said, like, let's be better tomorrow than we were today, and let's be better at the end of today than we were when we woke up. Uh, so that's really what we focus on. I mean, it, it was awesome to make the playoffs for the first time ever in in, um, in program history. That was that was really good. Uh, most wins in over twenty five years. That was that was awesome. Um, but focusing on the end goal is not like who we are and what we do so much as like we got to grade ourselves we, we got to look each other in the you know in the face in the circle at the end of practice and in the locker room after the game like what can we improve on but how did like what was our effort like what was our communication life like what was our cohesion like all that kind of stuff so literally and it's corny cheesy but we say it non-stop like you're building your house every day and you got to get better every day get one percent better every day and it'll add up over time so yeah
0: I don't look at that as cheesy at all. Like you got to have that constant improvement if you want to make some noise in the Empire 8, and that's what I want to hear from right now. You're currently 3-5, and five, 0 and 2 in the conference. What does this team need to improve on or stay consistent with to make some noise in the Empire 8 and hopefully make playoffs again?
1: I think uh, the coaching staff has to continue to evaluate and, um, I guess, find and develop Uh, two things like our rotation. We're still working through that. Um, we really only return three pieces that have played consistent minutes in their career. Uh, so we have 11 players that are either new to the program, haven't seen much time previously, uh, and, or have been hurt here for some time. So we are only eight games in, um, to a long journey. Uh, and so I, I've tried to preach that to them like we're trying to figure things out like what do we do best I have that conversation with myself every day with my peers with our coaches uh, with my my father etc like what are we best at to be determined like we're working through it there are things uh, that we do well but not consistently enough so that's probably number one is uh, rotations and then number two would be consistency across the board um, and trying to find who we are and do that as much as possible. So we're working through that, and with that, you know, we've had some offensive struggles. Our defense has been pretty good to really good, um, but offensively we've been struggling to find consistent looks. Um, Like we played a really good Houghton team the other day, uh, and I thought our offense was pretty good, but their ball pressure – you know really affected us and their physicality on the ball affected us and didn't let us get crisp through some sets. Um, we're working on on some structures within um, like I said we'll be adding stuff here just about every week as we uh, as we come out of the break different sets and and quick hitters and stuff like that um, but just an evolving evolving thing here and, and I think the thing that we have to focus on, we collectively um, while the coaching staff works on the behind the scenes stuff is uh, our work ethic our ball movement uh, our communication um, those need to be consistent every day and so if we can do that then I like our chances Um, and and I know that we have a group that'll
0: do that for us. Yeah as a coach how hard is it to balance what you previously expected this team to be what sets you're going to run to when it doesn't work to the best of um what you thought it was how how much are you gonna wait to see like what works and what doesn't work
1: we i had a really early uh lesson here in the collegiate um, field second year we were running some similar sets to what we ran the first year that we had some success with with that group that we inherited where we played a little bit uh inside it was probably about halfway through conference play the second year we played Houghton who was not as good as they are now and Naz who's been consistently good back to back and off the top of my head I think we scored like two points and three points in the first quarter of each of those games and that I had to swallow my pride and it was I I was a lot more immature then and I like to think I've developed as a person but at the time in the moment it's like we are not running these crisp enough we're not having good reads etc the reality was people were sitting on what we were running, right? And they knew and league play, like everybody knows what you run. You just got to run it uh, better Um, and swallowed our pride, scrapped everything within the offense, everything. And we were halfway through conference play. So we were probably 18 games into the year, totally scrapped it and went to something brand new, started on a Monday with something brand new. And that Friday, I don't remember the results, but started to do well. And we won like four of our last five that year. So I got that humbling, you know, lesson really early Uh, And so that's allowed me here to kind of evaluate maybe some things that we did last year or things that I expected to work uh, this year that haven't or aren't as efficient. Like, do we need to add more stuff so that they become less predictable Um, or do we need to scrap it or go to it once a game or go to it in the big moments, whatever it may be. And also evaluate, like I said, and I haven't had to do this that much in years past, but like who's on the court. And so therefore what do we want to run as a group of five? Whereas in years past, you would evaluate who's on the court but mostly we had interchangeable pieces like we had similar pieces that we just kind of plugged in whereas here it's like all right we're a little bit bigger with this lineup we're a little bit quicker with this lineup we have more shooters with this lineup we got to play with two bigs I haven't played with two bigs since our second year so evaluating that and like I said I I learned that lesson really early on but you just got to swallow your pride sometimes as a coach because it would be really stubborn to keep you know, bashing your head against the wall saying like, this should work, this should work, this should work. And I know, you know, there are some peers out there and myself earlier in my career who it's like, the players aren't doing blah, It doesn't, the players are out there playing, so I need to put them in a better position to succeed.
0: Yeah, yeah that's crazy. And are there any coaches that you have always enjoyed going, competing against or a coach that has always had your, your number that um, you'd like to get the best of coming up?
1: So obviously St. John Fisher, they've been at the top of the league here um, since I've been here. Uh, we've been we've been close. We've given them some good runs. Uh, we've had the lead at some halftime. So we definitely you know got to get over that hump and, and take them down there, the top dog. Uh, but thinking about this, uh, I guess I'd say just out of my true admiration and respect for how they run their program, Nazareth, um, we COVID year we should have beat them at our place um, in an empty gym. We an unfortunate series of events that we probably blew the game. Um, And then we did beat them two years ago. Uh, And then this past year, uh, if you remember, we had that tough block charge call that ultimately when you stop the film, it was the wrong call, but live, I didn't hate. It was a really difficult call, but like, that's, that's fun. And I'm, I'm proud that we're ascending to, compete with them, you know, I I really respect Kelly um, and her whole staff, you know, she's got a slew of former players, her brother Tim, they do an awesome, awesome job. And I just love conversing with them, picking their brain uh, on the road, the recruiting trail, all that kind of stuff. So they're probably the most fun. And I know that we have to be at the top of our game to compete with them consistently.
0: Yeah, talking about that block charge, I just wanted to hear from a coach's perspective, you're a high energy guy. And sometimes refs make the bad call or a call you disagree with how do you balance when is the right time to show that energy and when's the time to like keep your team composed and keep a level head uh
1: two years ago the first two games uh so it was the year coming out of COVID the first two games I got warnings I've never gotten a tech at the college level I only got them at the JV level but they were warranted because those refs were terrible (laughs) uh but I got my first two warnings um and they were back to back and so I knew, like, yes, you're right. I, I am high energy. I don't stop talking, whether it's communicating to the players or getting on the refs. Uh, but that kind of was a self-reflection of, like, you got to be investing too much time in stuff you can't control. Um, and I remember reflecting, like, soon after that, because it was like, you're basically, you're embarrassing yourself uh, and your team for how much you're getting after the refs. Uh, like, self-reflecting that week after, looking back. I don't remember who it was. I want to say it was Morrisville. Like, I was – or, no, Cobleskill, I can't remember. I literally was, like, uh, had blacked out mentally and was in this tunnel vision of all I remember was getting on the refs, and there's a stretch of the game I don't remember the basketball. Wow. And that's, like, actually crazy to think about. Luckily, our team kind of held it together, and I think we won that game. But uh, just the fact – like, my job is to coach the sport, and I – couldn't because my mind wouldn't let me do it for like seven minutes of basketball which is crazy crazy so I try and I guess uh, put all my energy into the players I've definitely gotten a lot more mature on the sidelines uh, and not been as emotional as I have in previous years especially with this team um, trying to just like make sure like coach them coach them coach them help them help them help them Um, because we are young but more so like inexperienced even with some of the pieces that we have had here and or other people taking on bigger roles so like don't don't be as emotional don't be as reactive as you have been in years past that's a part of growing up as is um but also with the refs like the conversations across the court consistently are not benefiting us because while they may hear what you're saying they're also getting a little bit impatient with your antics so more so like when you need to you can let them know that they've messed up and explain why you think so but when they come over to to have a conversation to quiet you down, calm you down, and they want to talk to you, you have to respect the heck out of that because there are times that the refs will say, like, I missed that one. You were right. Uh, And there will be other times that they say, this is what I had and this is why I had it. And I'm like, okay, you're right. And so that's been a development of, like, the energy is great, it's awesome, but you can't embarrass yourself, the team, and the ref, really, because that's not going to pay off in the end. And realistically speaking, we see the same people, right, because of the area that we're in. Um, and they are trying that, you know, there's nobody that I think is not trying their hardest and that's just collecting a paycheck or anything because our ref coordinator, Mike Schmidt, holds them to a really high standard. Um, so understanding, like, it's a difficult thing to do. I've done it before. It's a difficult thing to do. Uh, they're trying their best and you're going to see them again in a week and a half. So if you're just nonstop getting after them, nonstop, nonstop. You're going to burn some bridges, and it's not going to benefit you in the end. And I don't know that that's the reality, and the refs will probably say that's not the reality, but even just their patience and their willingness to have a conversation, like in the end we're adults, we can disagree, um, and it doesn't always have to be across the court at a high
0: volume. Yeah, I respect that, and especially because you're you're practicing what you're preaching to your team of that constant growth and improving every day because even just observing you from my freshman year to now, I can see definitely that like you you've matured like you said and you don't get as like ah and you're just like level-headed and I think that's definitely um, a great aspect of your coaching style right now thank you so moving forward into a different topic um, non-related to basketball kind of but you've changed the culture in Alfred women's basketball program to where your students are excelling in the classroom Every semester since you've been here, team average above a 3.0 GPA. Why is it so important to you that your players are being productive in the classroom?
1: So when I got here, the program was in, obviously, a, a, a poor spot basketball-wise. Um, two wins the year before we got here and eight wins over the three years before we got here. So the basketball product was really struggling. But getting to know them, like in the interview process and then immediately, like there was minimal um, – accountability but also minimal structure and I have some OCD in me um, but like I'm somebody who likes to structure things out and provide support um, and means for for growth and for um, for all that kind of stuff and so if I'm going to hold people accountable uh, and the department's going to hold people accountable in the NCAA like then I got to help them because I like I told you earlier like I was a freshman and part of my sophomore year where I was a lot more focused on everything but going to class um, because I was 17, 18, 19 as well. Uh, so trying to be upfront with them, that's talked about on the recruit call. And when they come here, showing them where all the resources are, telling them exactly what their purpose is, et cetera. Like that's the stuff that matters because you're going to struggle, um, whether it be physical health, mental health, uh, academics, balance, struggling within the basketball program your shots not whatever it may be like we have all different resources and opportunities around us um, and I think that if we're providing them as a university shame on me if I'm not promoting them non-stop and or mandating them in some way shape or form so um, with regards to academics it started the first two years with uh, like progress report type sheets every two weeks Friday afternoon by whatever it was Friday at 4 p.m. I needed the sheet Uh, in my mailbox signed by all your professors with a grade and comments that became a little bit mundane for the professors especially in covid Um, so we instead now we meet every other week uh, in my office 15 minutes no basketball will be discussed you're going to pull up canvas which is their you know like um, i guess school website type thing where it shows them upcoming assignments and grades and you're going to show me and read to me and i'm going to log it and i'm going to mark it uh, color coordinate it Add comments, all that kind of stuff. And then that allows me to follow up as opposed to like the first two years, they would drop it in the mailbox. <laughs> we had one that would drop it in the mailbox and run away and hope that I didn't hear. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, come back here. Uh, this a lot, like, let's have a conversation because I struggled and it took me a while to, to get my feet on the ground and, um, and and really focus and prioritize. So to have that structure all four years, you could be a 4.0 student, you could be a grad student, you could be a freshman, doesn't matter. Um, you'll have to do that. Uh, and and just providing structure so that there like there's no secret that we went from under a 3.0 before we got here to a 341 average over over six years right so that's not like I'm not we're not bringing in geniuses not everybody's perfect uh, we do have people that struggle through but like if if, if a B minus is the best you can do in that anatomy class like we are going to get you know that that 82.4 percent nine and they're not going to round up but you know what I mean like that's what we're going to do and I'm going to ask you like what are you doing about it have you met with the professor are there SI sessions um can you go into peer tutoring do you need to go to the writing center do you need something for me do you need a quiet place do you need me to do you need to come late to practice because you need to do whatever it may be and and really like overemphasize that and and not I think it's important not to have the students feel guilty about academic things conflicting potentially conflicting with basketball and that'll help with the longevity of them in the in the program too yeah. like it's not it's not a hollow like hey yeah like academics are important like every single day there's something I'm doing or our staff is doing to help support them academically and or career wise internships all that kind of stuff
0: yeah I love that um, kudos to you and your coaching staff for keeping um, your students locked in on something bigger than basketball because at the end of the day <laughs> 99% of Division 3 players aren't going to go professional for this so definitely got to find other ways to be successful
1: right and and that's something that I learned from Jamie like uh, at New Paltz he always said always said like this stuff's cool it's awesome to be a part of you're, you're being a part of something bigger than yourself but uh, he's like I want to hear or I want to hear about uh, you know down the road when you get that job when you buy your first house when you buy a car when you graduate advanced schooling from here. Uh, when you get married, when you have kids and the kids are calling you like Uncle KJ or whatever it may be. What was really cool is last summer, uh, I got to experience that for the first time. I went to my first ever New Paltz wedding, um, got invited. um, And to see, we had two tables. It was just like getting the gang back together. Like I'm excited for that over the next few years here at at AU.
0: Full circle for real. And I like the sound of Uncle KJ. So (laughs) shout out little bro Isaiah. Tap in. (laughs) But um, we're gonna end this episode with a little rapid fire and starting five edition. Let me know when you're ready for rapid fire.
1: All right, let's do this. All
0: right. Do you have a favorite quote? Hmm. <laughs> uh,
1: I used to always, always, always be quotes, um, but I guess something that I shared with the team recently—it's not going to be a direct quote—but Kara Lawson, head coach at, at Duke women's basketball, yeah. she just the general idea that um, it doesn't get easier; you just handle hard better.
0: Mm. That is tough. I got a quote list, so that's, that's going in my quote list. But um, next one, most funny player on the current team. Hmm.
1: Well, Leah and Felicia's laugh and Kate Quinn's laugh will just get you uh, any time. <laughs> the actual f- – Brie Door sneaky funny. Natalie Collins, sneaky funny. Let's see. Am I missing anybody?
0: So your freshmen are carrying the, the yeah, locker room they're, vibes?
1: There are some characters, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll stick with those. I, I think – I'll, I'll give Redor like the sneaky, like when she, when she talks, like you better listen because you're missing either something really, <laughs> really important, uh, really educational uh, and and well balanced or something hysterical.
0: <laughs> I got you. And then last rapid fire question. Do you watch the WNBA? I do. All right. So who's your favorite player? Uh, let's see. I love the aces
1: top to bottom. Becky come Hammond. On, no, 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 no. Uh, love him, Love them. Love them. Um, Asia Wilson, I think is is just a stud. Um, Chelsea Gray is just ridiculous passer, and and just like the flow that they have, um, and you know Jackie Young and uh, and Kelsey Plum, like they're just a lot of fun on both sides of the court. So I'm not, I've never really been a big you know who's your favorite player that's not on your favorite team type thing I got so like i feel like the generations today they just kind of follow their player like i'm loyal to my team and then we'll still support them but always loyal to the team and as i've gotten to watch more and more the last few years uh just love everything top to bottom that the aces do
0: i got you i'm a liberty fan so we got beef now
1: Yeah, and like I, when I was younger, like obviously New York, you know, loved the Liberty. But watching more consistently before the Liberty were good, you know, uh, it was it was the Aces because it was it was really high quality. And I was learning every every second from the players and the coaches.
0: I got you. So this starting five edition is going to be the top five players that you've coached, but we're going to leave off of the current team. So everybody you've coached besides members of your current team if you were a coach, who's, hmm. your, who's your starting five?
1: Okay, so I got one, uh, let's see. And and as you know, like we don't do positions, So I got I got five, uh, they kind of fill out the positions, but I really got three point guards, which I love. Uh, all right, so we'll start with a New pulse OG uh, that came in when I when I got in there, Lindsay Betge. Uh, we called her LB, uh, and I remember we were at Brockport uh, the team was we were doing okay um, but she was a freshman and she to start uh, she could absolutely put the ball in the hoop multiple ways was struggling with defensive concepts we were struggling a little bit as a team but not like terrible terrible and I had written on the clipboard that I was tracking stats on the backside I had a clear clipboard and I, I wrote free LB like play her And when and I think I showed it to her that game she went in somebody was hurt or somebody was in foul trouble and just went for like 18 or something like that. Wow. And speaking to her somewhat recently, she still has that uh, free LB sign, you know, like hung up. And she went on to be an all-conference player and wow. uh, all that kind of stuff. So she, and she, just a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. And it was really cool to come in with her, learn with her, and then be there three years. And then watch her the year after uh, I left it was really awesome. Now the next is is a duo, um, Al, Al and Carly, Allison O'Toole and, and Carly Welty. Um, Carly just like like probably the toughest toughest kid ever uh, we're really proud for her. She graduated early in three years from here, was supposed to come back this year for her master's. She's in the New York State Trooper Academy right now and um, you know doing pretty well. I saw her a few weeks ago at the Elmira game, her sisters play for them. Um, and just a great, great, great family. Um, was probably, honestly, our top recruit we've ever had here. Uh, and so when we got her during COVID, that was a very, very, very exciting time. Uh, and then Al. Al, similar to Lindsay at New Paltz, Al came in with me. So I didn't recruit her. Coach Luke recruited her for softball um and she was interested in playing basketball I get the job in April um coach Rachel Durbin was here as a graduate assistant kind of holding the program together she said here are some kids that we got to reach out to that may be interested and I called Allison after I'd watched some tape that coach Luke had sent me and I'm like Alice, like we need you like you have a high chance of playing here right away but more so like it seems like you really love like the sports I spoke to her for maybe like a half hour I remember I was in the car uh and I knew. I was like, this This program's in trouble because Allison and I are similar in a lot of ways. <laughs> and and so just an ultimate competitor, um, an ultimate glue-type piece, um, would hold her teammates accountable. Um, had a little bit of a flash in her that we had to pull back at times when she was turning it over, but really excelled. And, and she's somebody who... You know, we we joked her first year and it actually we had a conversation about how it wasn't good uh, for her performance. But we joked about, like, are you going to have a a higher batting average or a higher three point percentage? Uh, And her three point percentage her first year was not very good. Um, But to watch her like develop into a a quality basketball player, a really, really good leader um, and somebody that played both sides of the floor and then her and Carly to both be five, 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 six. And literally guard centers every night, yeah. um, but then bring the ball up, but post up guards, all that kind of stuff. Like they made it a lot of fun. Um, and uh, and and two of my favorites. Let's see, we have a player called uh, called <laughs> named MVP uh, Maddie Van Pelt from New Paltz, She was a walk on. This is funny, and I'll be sure to send her this. She might not know this. Uh, she's now an assistant there. Um, she when we watched her film. I was like, nah, like she doesn't really do anything come to find out that was her game. It's like, she didn't really do anything until she did something developed into a player and she became all conference. So she went from a volleyball athlete that wanted to play basketball, a local kid. um, And I was like, yeah, like, you know, she's athletic, but what basketball skills does she have? Uh, And then just like every day got better, got better, got better. She was the type of kid when early in her career, you had to find minutes for her. Like she just did things right. Um, And she kind of, like, I think she's a way better athlete, but she reminds me of our Jada Felker now. like, I had this conversation with Jada recently. It's hard not to have you on the floor. Like, you do too many things right, um, and you're a nice complimentary piece. And so hopefully Jada's trajectory is similar to MVP. But um, she was a lot of fun, quiet competitor who developed a voice, who developed basketball skill over the years. And then the last one is somebody that when I went in she uh, to New Paltz, she was a junior, so we were actually pretty close in age. Uh, but right away she had a respect. Like, she was the... The second voice of the team. We had a great leader in Goldie Harrison then. Um, but the second voice of the team and the, probably the best player. Uh, and right away she had like a respect for me, like would ask me certain things, would ask if I needed certain things. As I was learning, um, and her name is Kit Small. Um, she's from the, the Albany area. Um, and just like fierce, fierce, fierce competitor. Like fi- Like every day when you kept score on the scoreboard, if her team didn't win, you just don't talk to Kit. Like don't um and would do whatever it took um you know kind of played with an edge but played clean uh whatever it took to get herself and her team past the finish line so all these little team challenges on and off the court uh or if it's you know blue versus white in that gym you know kit kit's winning percentage was probably off the charts and um, she was a big part of getting that program to you know the pinnacle of success and her impact is felt every day and what I respect more about Kit is like she's heavily involved in that program from afar everybody still knows who she is and as much as she can you know she tries to go back because she loved being a hawk uh and she loved playing for coach Seward and all that so that's a five that uh, I'll go to I'll go to war with for sure and I'll have a lot of fun coaching.
0: that's a tough team I respect it But that's going to do it for another episode of Not Even D2. We appreciate your time, Coach, and good luck for the rest of the season. Thanks, KJ. Same to you. Excited for the next few months. Yes, sir.